Greetings tonight and welcome, in Jesus' name. And I'm not sure why tonight, but I feel a bit scared. And so I request your prayers as I look at the subject that I told you last evening that I would preach about, subject of marriage. But at the same time, I'm excited. I'm excited because I know how good it is, how good it can be. But also, um, I know that it's work. It's hard work. I'd like for beginning of this service or this message here to uh, turn to First Corinthians chapter seven. be reading all of this chapter here, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I'm thankful that this church had questions because we can learn so much from the answers that were written back to the Corinthian church. Apparently, Paul was absent. They had a lot of questions and they sent him a letter with questions, and now Paul is responding. <clears throat> Verse 1 says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission, and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, and another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, Excuse me, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But as God, hath dis but as God has distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. 
Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, for he that is that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price; be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. Yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they, they had none. And they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as, as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is commonly, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think that he behave himself uncommonly toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age, and need so require, let him do what he will. He sinneth not, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is li at liberty to marry to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. Thank you for listening to that scripture reading here tonight. I love this chapter when I preach on marriage because it's so all-inclusive. Did you notice that? As we read down through here, it's... There's probably not one of us in here that's totally excluded. We're in one category or the other. And first of all, I'd probably like to speak to the title of my message here tonight is Rejoice with the Wife of Thy Youth. Rejoice with the Wife of Thy Youth. And I know that we have to be careful what we say sometimes. Because here recently, last summer, I uh, performed the marriage at, at home and... Before I did, I, I just made a few comments there, and, and I said on the way to uh, the wedding that morning, I was, we were driving down the road, and I was looking over at my wife, and I thought, wow, I've got a beautiful wife. 
got a beautiful wife, and I said something to her. I said, you look better, or you look as good, or better than the day we married. And uh, afterwards, one of the uh, brethren that's a bit of a, he's a corker anyway, he came to me, and he said, at the reception, he said, well, he just, he, he asked his wife, he wonders how old my wife looked when we got married, because I said something about she looks just as young or younger than she did when we got married, and, and so... And I don't know if that has, that has something to do with us living together. It has something to do with us uh, just aging together. And we don't think of, you know, uh, if I think of how I possibly looked on my wedding day, I, there's some pictures that might verify that, but um, I was probably 155 pounds at that time. I was 23 years old, and so I've gained, uh, to the best of my uh, recollection, I've probably gained a three-quarter pound every year since I've been married. I'm trying to keep it there, but I tell you what, it's pretty hard to, it's, I'm at the stage where it'd be easy to just, just let it go, but I'm, I've made a commitment, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to just let it go. So here tonight, we see that, uh, I'd like to say that the young people, and what I said the other evening, young people, if, if it doesn't apply to you when we speak to marriage, just put it in a savings account, the unmarried uh, like we saw here, it seems like you're a favorite lot. <laughs> you're a favorite lot. If you listen to what Paul says, he says that it's the best. He thinks it's the best. And, and I have been blessed in my life. Uh, I know some older, uh, both men. I'm gonna, not going to say young people necessarily and, or, or boys and girls, but they are men and women that have never married and they have dedicated themselves just exactly what Paul has told us here tonight. He said that those people care for the things about God, how they may please him. And if you follow what Paul is saying and all that he says about those that are not married and how he wishes everyone was like him. But he says, and we don't know. I, I don't know if Paul ever had a wife. Did he ever have a wife? Was he married at one point? Was he a widower? A widower? Was he a... Uh, had he never got married. But he has some pretty good understanding of how marriage ought to work. If he never experienced it, he sure had some understanding of how marriage ought to work. And where he got all of that, maybe it's just the wisdom that was given to him by God. We know that his, his, uh, we use Paul's formula in our, in our communion, in serving of communion. And Paul says he didn't receive that from anyone else. He didn't go up there to Jerusalem and learn how to give communion. Or meet the apostles and figure out how to do this. But this is what I have received of the Lord. And I like Paul in, in his writings here to the Corinthians. He's pretty free in sharing his personal opinion. But I like that he, he lets us know when that's what it is. He lets us know when it's his personal opinion. And he also lets us know when this is a whole lot more than just my personal opinion. This is something I have straight from the Lord. He says... And, and that's what he says. I speak it. Uh, not I, but the Lord. Thus said. Thus saith the Lord. So for you that are not married, you know, it includes the single. It includes the single people. They're dedicated to, to God and, and they're dedicated in his service. They're, they are they are blessing. I've seen young men and I've seen young women that have done that very thing, their life has been as fulfilling as any one of us. 
any one of us. I don't know that we can say that there was any difference in the fulfillment and the joy and the blessing on their life. There just wasn't. And now, I also want to say that for certain, God never intended that to be for everyone. He never intended that to be for everyone because God said in the garden, he said that when he created man there and he put them in the garden, he said, multiply and fill the earth. So it's not God's plan that everyone is single. In fact, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, there is a group. There was a group at one time that maybe they were all single. But you know how long that would last? If, if you had a church that was only made up of single people, you'd have a church that lasts one generation. One generation. And that certainly uh, is not the plan of God that that would happen. So we have some admonition here for the singles. The unmarried. I'm just going to say the unmarried. And I, don't, I, I like that almost better than just sing, single you out and say the singles. It's the unmarried. Those that are not married. And then uh, we have admonition for those that, uh, maybe those that want to be married. And, and I think even included, and then we have admonition in, in this chapter, we, we have admonitions for those that are unequally married. What might that mean to you? Unequally married. It's when one partner is a Christian and the other is, an, one is a believer and one is not a believer. And I, and I don't know if you have any people in your families that way or not. You know, we've, we have a goodly heritage. We've been taught for generations. And I tried to look up what is the divorce rate in this country. And I think this country rates about the fourth in the world. If you start at the top, you go down, I'm pretty sure it's either the third or the fourth. But you know what? We're so confused and this country is in, in, in the situation where marriage is so, I, I don't even know what to call it. It's so fluid. They can't even really get a right. Years ago, I know that I did it 20 years ago. I pulled it up and I think it was at 51, 52 percent somewhere. But if you try to pull it up today, unless you have a better system than I do, uh, you, you try to look that up and it is, you can't really, they don't really know anymore because, and, and there may be lots of reasons for that. I, and I think some of those reasons are because they don't, uh, it's, but if you look at the amount of marriages that happen every year and the amount of divorce, you, and you do your math, you say, well, it's 50%. I think we're about there. Right, right at 50% of marriages fail. So, for you unmarried, uh, it, it's just something to consider. And I know that in the Mennonite and Anabaptist churches, we have done much better. We've done much better. But I'd like to say that if... How, how well have we done to enjoy our marriages? Do you just love your marriage? Is it something that you wouldn't want to do without? Or is it something that kind of be a relief? Kind of be a relief to just be out of it. That's where I want to focus on then a little bit in, in marriage tonight. So what I want to say tonight is that marriage, I believe a good marriage, it doesn't just happen Brothers and sisters, a good marriage does not just happen. If you're here tonight and you have a good marriage, 
It's because somebody worked for it. Somebody worked for it. If you're here tonight and your marriage is mediocre or your marriage is just about on the rocks or your marriage is, you just wish you could get out of it, that happens. You see what I'm saying? That's what happens. That just happens. But to the unmarried, to those that are looking on, the unmarried that are, that are at home and they're watching their parents, and maybe they don't understand everything about their parents, and, and maybe they think their parents don't get along the way they should, or maybe they think they get along the way they should. And I hope you have a lot of good examples in your homes that where, where parents love each other and where the relationship is good. And where there's no doubt. I, I remember what it did to me as a young boy. When I would see my dad, uh, I could just still see him. You know, sometime, and I was probably eight, ten years old, I don't know, twelve years old in those days. And I, I, I can remember him, like, one of his ways of being affectionate to my mom was going up and, and giving her sort of like a hug and pinching her. I don't know why, but he'd pinch her. But I remember seeing that as a, as a little boy. And something happened around my heart. It's like, you know, little warm circles go around your heart. When you see something like that, it does something. It does something. Then I know in, in, in some time, and I think it had to do with the age of the family, the children growing up and more, and, and more teenagers in the house, there was more tension. And it seemed that it wasn't, it wasn't as good. But you know what? My dad and mom are still living. Both are still living, and they're still living alone, taking care of themselves. My dad is 86, and my mom is 82. And I don't question that they love each other. I know they do. I know they love each other. They need each other. They look out for each other. And it's wonderful. It's a blessing to see that. It's a blessing to see that. But I don't want to overlook these Men and women in service in the kingdom of God who have made it their goal to just follow Christ and just walk with him. And you know what? Sometimes even in their 50s and 60s, all of a sudden they get married. Their 40s. So we never know. We never know what God has around the next turn. But I would say that if we're satisfied and if we're being, if we're being satisfied with where we are, then we're ready for marriage. Years ago, I counseled a young man, or I asked a young man in our church. He was getting older, and he wasn't... I, I knew he had asked maybe a time or two, but he was not pursuing relationships with ladies. In fact, I think he was about 35 years old. And I said to him, I, I said, How do you feel about your life? What are you doing with your life? How do you feel about your life? And, and about... He was still living at home, and... He was running a farm and, you know, he just seemed like he didn't have a care to worry about. He said, you know, I'm so content with my lot in life. This time he said, uh, thinking about, and I asked him something about a wife and he said, in thinking about a wife, he said, I'm not sure what I'd do with her. It'd sort of be a nuisance. I came home and I told my wife, he's just about ready to start dating. And sure enough, six months later, he starts dating. Some, he met someone, he starts dating. You know, all of a sudden he wasn't satisfied anymore. But that's the work of God. At that point, he was totally satisfied. And I think that God wants people there. 
He wants people there, and once he has them there, he can do wonderful things. I'm not guaranteeing that he's going to get you married just because you're satisfied being single. But he can do wonderful things if you're just pliable in his hands. Now, we have the address to those that are unequally married. And the advice that Paul gives is don't separate. And what I want to say is in your family, I don't know how far back your family would have to go to you say that, yes, I know a case like that. Well, I two years, I think less than two years ago, we buried an uncle of mine that it was this way. It was this way. His wife was a faithful Christian and he was not. He was not. I don't know that he was um, adulterous at any time. We, we don't know. We don't know what went on in Uncle Joe's life. He was a private man. And like I shared with my grandpa, I think he was a lot like grandpa maybe. But something had happened in church that turned him bitter. And he was... He was one of those men that was one man. One day he was sitting with a row of other men drawing the books. Drawing the books there. And after that, it seemed like he made the remark that I'm going to make sure that never happens again. And it seemed like his heart turned away from the church. Away from God. And finally the day came. And I know that, I, I don't know what all that uh, Aunt Matilda went through. Nobody, nobody really knows. And she will not tell people what all she went through. But I know that out of those, I believe there are seven children. And all seven of those children are sanctified. They're sanctified. So we see what God did in, in the work of that family. And I know that one of those, uh, uh, the oldest the, the oldest girl testified at one, at one time that she heard one night, she heard her dad beating her mom. And it came to the point where one night that he told her, he said, he told her to leave. He told her to leave. And she wasn't going to leave. But she let it slip to the children the next day about something. And she had, yeah, some, she had older teenage children living in the house. Even up in the 20s probably, yes. Um, or even older than that. And when the children found out that mom was supposed to leave, that she was told to leave, they said, we are taking you and we are leaving. So they all left. So Uncle Joe built himself. He had an old farmhouse. He pushed it down. He built himself a new little house just for himself. Sometime later, he disappeared into the state of Virginia. Never left his family know where he went. People didn't know, how will we ever know if he dies or if he doesn't? And someone did find him. Eventually, actually, my youngest brother found where he lived. And he found him. He let the family know where he lives. And about two winters ago, when, when there was a big ice storm, some of his children decided that they need to go check on, on their dad. In fact, one son had made contact one time. His dad let him in the house, kept his back turned toward him and just kept washing his dishes and wouldn't. And the son left. Finally, the second time when his son came back, he uh, after a while, he tells him, just just go across the mountain and don't come back. Just just don't come back. That's that's how bitter he was. 
But in that ice storm, his second oldest son and part of the family found him in the house under blankets, no electricity, and he was almost, he was almost gone. And he would have died. Within another day, he would have not been there. And at that point, they persuaded him to allow someone to come live with him and help take care of him. He had congestive heart failure. He was very weak. He was 81 years, 80, 82 years, 81 years old. But anyway, he didn't survive very much longer. About two months later, he died. And we don't know. There are a lot of questions. Will we see Uncle Joe in heaven? Well, his children believe that we will. We don't know. God is the judge. Certainly, if it would have been my life, there are a lot of things I would have wanted to say before I died. And yet, his daughter asked him minutes before he died, Daddy, are you ready to go? He said, I'm ready. And then she said, are you ready to meet Jesus? And he was already gone. There was no more response. Anyway, there's, there's an example. You, you may have those in your family. I don't know. Now, in, uh, now unto the married. Unto the married. I want to tell you tonight, when I say the garden, I mean it's like God put things in place. God made a garden. He put man in that garden. So in your mind, I'd just like tonight to draw a picture for you, a mental picture in your mind of a garden, the most beautiful garden that you ever saw. And there is where God put man. And in the garden, when I refer to the garden, I'm going to refer that's the intimate part. That's the intimacy in marriage, in the garden. And I love this verse that, that in uh, Genesis here. Chapter 2, verse 25. It tells us uh, where, where God put him in the garden. And it's, it, it, God brought this woman to Adam. Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my flesh, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And now this is what God says. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, in the garden is the only place, I want to tell you tonight, where these two words, these two words do never fit in the same sentence except in the garden. In the garden. And, and, and in the garden, this is natural, this is sanctified, and this is holy. It is the plan of God. And that's how, when Adam and Eve were perfect, that's how it was. And that's what... How when our marriage is the way God wants it, wants it to be in the garden, those go, things go together. So I want to picture, I want you to have that picture. And in, in marriage, we, we find this. Let's go back again to um, 1 Corinthians 7. Maybe you're still there. Uh, 
we we have this these first few verses that are so beautiful. They're nice and beautiful. Paul says in verse two, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, let every woman have her own husband, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. So so there's something that happens when and and we have this we we have this commitment one to another as husband and wife, the commitment one to another. And here Paul is saying, do those things. Let uh, it's because to avoid fornication, to, to avoid those kind of things. This is what God intended for husband and wife to dwell together. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband had not power of his own body, but the wife. In marriage, I want to inform us that in marriage, my body, my rights, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You see it here. And it, it tells us here, it clearly tells us. And, and, and so I think the closer or the more, the, the straighter we come back to the scripture and know and understand that sexual activity has no, there's no sanctification for any of that outside the garden. Simple and clear. None. And that's why the husband has not power over his own body, but the wife. The wife has not power over her own body, but the husband. It's together. And when that is together, in that way, it's sanctified. It is sanctified. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Then he says in verse 5, Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time. And I tell you tonight that I, I, we, we need a cross. We men, we need a cross. And I think you, you women, you need a cross. It, it's pretty clear here that... Yeah. The, the marital activity that, that we have... That he says, defraud ye not one or the other, except it be with consent for a time. And I, I want to tell you, that's the only, that's the only, uh, how would I say it? The only exception to that. We don't use, we don't use those things for punishment. We don't use those things for punishment. And if we do, we sin. We do, we sin. But on the other hand, we need to learn to the cross in our life will help us as men, as we look at what we are called to do, called to lead, called to provide and called to look out for the good. It takes a cross. I want to tell you that uh, if you want to go into full time service, get married. You're in service. Get married. Now, I'm not going to say it's a bad thing. It's a good thing. But I'm going to say that those that don't enjoy it, it's because we don't learn to serve properly with the right attitude. Are we married because of what we can get out of it? Or are we married because of what we can provide? The husband is called to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That's not a selfish kind of love. 
If you want to get married here tonight just because you feel that I need a wife, just because you feel that you just need that, you just want that, and you believe that's, that would be the answer to all your problems, I'm here to tell you that's not the right motive. But if we can marry, if we can come together in marriage because of what we can put in there, we're going to have a good marriage. We're going to have a good marriage. See, love, love is not selfish. So it's got to be that I'm willing to serve unselfishly. And it, the Bible tells us that Jesus, he gave his life for the church. It tells us that he despised the shame. He was looking down the road of, of preparing his bride, being able to have a sanctified bride. And so that's why he gave his life. That's why he ignored the personal pain. That's why he ignored everything that was now and present. And I tell you, men, I tell us men. And I'm not telling you this because I'm up here and you're back there or any of that because I'm preaching to myself. The more I preach about marriage, the more I understand I need to know and learn about marriage. And, I, and for, I had, only last year, outside of preaching at, at weddings, have I ever preached on marriage. Because why would I preach on marriage? I don't have it all together. But you know what? I decided that if I wait to preach on marriage until I have everything together, until I've got it all figured out, I'm going to be dust before it ever happens, right? But I can learn. I can learn as I preach and teach. Exactly. See things. God will bring things that... No, I know where I mess up. I know. I'd like to read that verse, verse 5, in a different, in the Amplified. It says, do not refuse and deprive and defraud each other of your due marital rights, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote your, yourselves unhindered to prayer. But afterwards, resume marital relations, lest Satan tempt you to sin through your lack of restraint of sexual desire. That's in the Amplified. So I hope that's clear and plain to us. That it, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's, it's a oneness that God gave that is necessary in marriage. And also for those that are not married, the unmarried, that are looking on. I, I would like to say that some of the tests that you should use to figure out, are you, are you ready for marriage? I'd like to ask you, first of all, can you get along with your siblings? Can, he, can you get along with your boss? Can you get along with other people? Because marriage is a closeness. Now, you can have, an, you can have a bone to pick with your brother. You can have a bone to pick with your sister. You can have a bone to pick with a lot of people. And it doesn't get as bad and devastating as it does when it's when you share the same room year after year, the same bed, the same. You're, there's no getting away from this. So if you've got a hard time with your family members, your bosses, anybody over you in authority, whatever it may be, 
Work on that first. Work on those things because it will help you in marriage. There are a lot of little things. There are a lot of little queer things that come up or funny things that come up in, in, in people's relationship and marriage that while they were dating, it was not an issue. It's not an issue. She was perfect. She was perfect in, in, in your eyes. and You were perfect in her eyes. But you know, when you sit at the same table all the time, We've been in it now for a little over 30 years. In fact, I thought that a marathon is 30, year, uh, 30, 30 miles. Excuse me. And, and I was going to, to say, well, we're, we're, it was right close to our anniversary. The first time I preached on marriage, and it was the 30th. I thought we, we're, just, we're just about at the end of our uh, first marathon. Then I discovered that a marathon is what? 25, 26 miles, right? Right in there. We were already past. We're well into our second one. And I tell you what, I... I didn't ask Ruth, but I'm ready to run the second one. I'm not scared of it. I'm not afraid of it. Because I know that we can do it. With Jesus, we can do it. Not that we didn't have any difficulties. Not that we don't have any disagreements. In fact, if you think you can work with your wife really good, I don't know how many of you do, but I'm a business partner with my wife. We have a business that we've worked together very closely for years. Very closely. And, yeah, granted, uh, I've had some issues with my heated up neck. Yeah, I'll just be honest. But I say it's good. It's good. I've learned to, to love it, to appreciate it. And I know that we can go through hard things together and still come out right. We can still come out right by the grace of God. So do not, do not... Defraud one another. Permanency of marriage is brought out here. Paul says here that this 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 is this is a long time. Permanency of marriage. And what I want to say about divorce in this country, it's I, I think around fifty percent probably. And and why uh, the very thing that is the, is the foundation of a solid home is a good marriage. A solid marriage makes a good church. We need good, solid marriages to have good churches. We need good, solid marriages to have a good nation. That's right where the devil's at. He's attacked this nation to the point where a hundred years ago, what we have now in our society a hundred years ago was very shameful, wasn't it? Even, even I, I'm only 50-some years old, and I know that uh, in, in my early days of remembering, that was not as common as it is today. And now it is a very common thing. Because people do not believe in... They're, they're in it for... They are in it for, for better. But when it comes to worse, they bail out. They're in it for better, but not for worse. Marriage is permanent. We find that in Romans 7, 1 through 3. We find it here in, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10 and 11. He says, And unto the married I command, Yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. I remember some years ago, we have, we have situations like this in our families. I don't know if you do or not, but I remember uh, a number of years back, 
When all of a sudden, one of my sister-in-laws took her family and left. She left. And you know, for days, this is the only verse that I could almost think. I could almost think. This verse just came back just over and over, more powerful and more powerful. And it says, yeah, he says, let not. That's what the Bible says. Let not the wife depart from her husband. A direct violation of what the Bible says is exactly what she did. And then there were others that were also supposedly should have been of the same persuasion. But they, how would I say, they supported her. And yeah, so to this day, they're not back together and they're not reconciled. Happened quite a number of years ago. But the command to us is clear. It's to us, the command is clear. The option is to be reconciled. And if, that's, if you're unwilling to do that, the option is to remain single. But we know that the heart of God is reconciliation. So I can't see how I could ever get to the point where, where I decide that, well, we've got too many arguments in the house. I'm just going to leave. Or I'm just going to have my part and she has her part. Because I know perfectly well that's not the will of God. It's not the will of God. He's all about reconciliation. And too many times, pride is the issue. We want to figure out, prove that we're right. Our partner's wrong. Pride, again, protecting ourselves. This is till death do us part. Jesus made it clear in Matthew there when it came to him about this question. He said, Moses allowed us to do it. Jesus said it was because of the hardness of your heart. That's why Moses did. But Jesus went back and said, but in the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, it was not so. We find God's plan very clear. God's plan never was that there would be multiple wives in one home. That wasn't God's plan. God created one man. He created one woman. That was his perfect plan. We even find that I think King Saul probably did better than King David did. With the thing of wives. I'm not sure if he only had one wife. Maybe there is something about him having a concubine as well. But we know that David had one and then another and then another. And I'm not sure how many wives that he ended up with. But it caused problems in his home. It wasn't the will of God. It was not the way that it should have been. You know these commitments that we make to each other. We have to have and to hold. To love and to cherish. To provide and care for. For better or worse, in prosperity and adversity, in health or sickness, till death do us part. And there's probably a lot more. I, those are just the ones that I could think of that we probably vow to. Vow to. Husbands, we are called to love. Love goes far beyond that fuzzy feeling. We know that first initial hit, could you say, when we were smitten with love. In fact, mine happened so, so unusually that I, I didn't know right what was happening. I always liked to hear Ruth fuss. She was a fussy kind of girl. I was always quiet, withdrawn. I guess she'll be okay with this. But and we were sitting at a singing, and, and there were different things that, that, that would happen. And I would maybe say things or do things just to hear her you know, go off and fuss about something. And all of a sudden, 
I looked up and it was such a surprise. It hit me with such surprise. I'd been in love with other girls before. I'm not saying that, but but this one at this time I wasn't in love with any any girl. I wasn't particularly looking for a girlfriend. And my mouth just fell open. It was such a surprise that I actually all of a sudden I realized I love her. I didn't know that before. I just liked her. But it, what, but it was love. So it turned out to be love, yes. And I'm glad it did. And it worked out well. Husbands are called to love. Love in the way that Christ did to church. And that means sacrifice. And I, some men, some of you men, you might, I, I think men, that, men have it really easy to figure out their wife's love language. We know what that, that is like. Okay, so her love language may be uh, acts of kindness, flowers, cards, notes. I don't know. It's a lot of different things. I know I, I've watched one of my brother-in-laws. He can, yeah, he can just buy flowers and that's all he has to do. He hardly has to do anything else, you know, and. That never brought the response out of Ruth that that I could see it brought out of his wife. But you know what I figured out? When the children were young and small, the floor needed to be washed up. I'd get a bucket of water and get down there on my hands and knees and wash up that floor. I got a whole lot better response out of that than I did out of a bouquet of flowers. So I figured out, oh, it's not flowers, it's this. And you know our wives are complicated. I'll just admit that. We're still learning how to. We're still learning how to love right. And how to sacrifice. How to do the things that we ought to do. And and it seems like the very thing that we struggle with. Is the thing that, that the Bible tells us the most about. And that is love. Husbands love your wives. It doesn't. Yeah the Bible does say about. Older women teaching younger women to love their husbands and that kind of thing. But then on the other hand, now let's go to the wives' side of it. Let's say respect. Respect. Or honor. Is that hard for women to do? You know, it it happened in the garden. God said your desire, because of what you did, Eve, your desire is going to be subject under your husband. He's going to rule over you. And I'm sorry that God made Adam first and then Eve. I'm not sorry, but I'm, I'm just saying God has an order. And in that order. And, and, and so the thing that, that 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 would talk about. How that the, how that the, the older women. And we have to go on. I, I have to get finished with this. Before you all walk out. But. The thing of respect, how Sarah honored Abraham, called him Lord. There's a story that I came across, and I'd like to share this. In 2 Samuel 6, we have this story where David David went, and he, he wanted to bring the ark back to its proper place in Jerusalem. So he goes, and he tries to bring it back. They load it on a cart, and they come part ways, and they come to a certain place. There was a... We could say there was a washout or something a road and the cart swayed and one of the men reaches over to steady it and he died. He touched it and he died. And David was displeased with this. They put the ark in there at this man's house right next to it. 
And the blessings just flowed. And after a while, David figures out, you know what? We made a mistake. The ark of God is to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. It's not to be put on a cart and brought here with oxen. So they come back the second time to get it. They come back. They're coming back to Jerusalem. And David was so overjoyed and he was just, he was the king. But I tell you, he lost his dignity out there maybe because he, it tells us that he put off his kingly robe and he was before the ark and he was dancing with all his might. There was singing going on. There was dancing going on. David was just, he got pretty charismatic out there. And you know what? He didn't realize that out of his house, his wife looks out the window and she saw him and it says she despised him in her heart. Something was wrong with that relationship. But let me just go back a little bit further in that relationship. David, actually, this woman, Michael, Saul's daughter, was David's rightful first wife. She was his rightful first wife. And you know, he had other women. After he was running from Saul, he had other wives. And it wasn't until the kingdom came together, was basically established. He was ruling over Judah for about seven years before the kingdom was brought together again. And he made this condition with Abner. He said, you will not see my face unless you bring Michael, my wife, back to me. And so she had been given to another man. They go and they get Michael and they brought her back. So now David had his rightful wife back. But there was something wrong with his relationship. And I dare say that if David had only Michael for a wife, and if he had taken care of her the way that he should have taken care of her, when she looked out that window and saw him, saw him out there, she would have went out there and joined him. Right? You get what I'm saying? But there were other women involved here. There were so many other women and... Michael probably felt gypped. She felt like she never got what she needed, what she was supposed to have, what was rightfully hers. Because out there, there were others. So love and respect. I like to say, wives, respect your husbands. And if he's a jerk, just respect him more. Just respect him more. You can't. You can't do it enough that you can't do it too much because you're going to break him. You're going to break him by your respect. And same for husbands. Love your wives. Just love them more. Sacrifice more. Love her more. Be like Jesus with calling people to himself. It works. It works. Fidelity. What is fidelity? The quality. These last three that I'm looking at. I just want to give them to you as three things that are, they are so fundamental and basic in a marriage, in a successful marriage, in a good home. We need love. We need respect. We need fidelity. What does it mean? The quality or state of being faithful. Faithful. Proverbs has a lot to say about it. We're just going to look at a few, a few verses here tonight. I, I, I love what the proverb writer says. His, and I should apologize for what I said about Solomon last evening. I was corrected by a brother who said, if you read some of those things in a different translation, you wouldn't think so bad about the word chance. So I do appreciate that. And I thank you for that. The word chance in our day, it means chance, right? 
But suppose its occasion happens to all. And I thank you for that. We need those kind of things. You know, preachers don't always get it right. And we need to be corrected. So thank you. I want to look at, at what Proverb writer says here. Proverbs 6. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thy heart. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. And the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Then he says, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals his feet not be burned? So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her, shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his soul when he's hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and a dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. For jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. Now I want to be clear. I want to be clear. The Bible tells us here that it's foolish to do that. And a man destroys his own souls. It tells us that his reproach shall never be wiped away. But aren't you so glad for Jesus and his forgiveness? I'm so glad for that. Because... If it were not for that, if that would ever happen to any of us, we wouldn't have a chance. We wouldn't have a chance. But I'm here to tell you that there is forgiveness. Over my, within my 30 years of marriage, I've heard of different cases. And I've never said a lot, but I've had my ears open. But I've heard of different cases where you would hear of infidelity, whether it was the, the husband with another woman or whether it was the wife with another man. But you know what I learned or what, 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 what was disturbing to me, that the first, the first time around you would hear the story, it was said, but they had a good marriage. <laughs> they had a good marriage. That bothered me. Because I was still working on a good marriage. I'm still working to have a good marriage. But I would think, well, if a man with a good marriage could. If a good marriage could shatter like that, what chance the rest of us have? What chance? But I, I'm standing here today and say, I don't believe it. I simply don't believe it that there was a good marriage when that happens. I, I just can't believe it. Now, I'm not God, and I'm not going to tell you that that's gospel truth. But to me, it seems like if there's a good marriage, that wouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. There's a fortification in a good marriage. There's a protection in a good marriage. It's so secure. And we, like many men of the world, we, we don't go to work. And in the back of our mind, we wonder, is someone at home in my house? Is someone at home in my house? Do you ever do that? 
basically that's foreign to us. We don't have, we don't worry about that. But you know what? It out there in the world where where marriage is broken down and dissolved, most of the men out there they wonder, they wonder, and there's many bad things that happen, many bad stories out there. What can we do then so that these things don't happen, so they don't overtake us? I'd like to say that the proverb writer also has a nice picture. Here in Proverbs 5, in verse 15, he said, Drink waters out of thy own cistern, running waters out of thine own well. I think when, when marriage is crumbled down, it's because our water is stale. We're drinking out of an old cistern. It's just routine. Our marriage just lost its zest. It lost its flavor. It lost its zeal. We need to put some work into that. We need to restore that. Back in October, we were riding out here in our motorhome. I love this. I love to tell this story. I thought, we're going to be traveling for three days, just Ruth and I. And I thought, this is how it would be. I would enjoy this ride. Well, for one, to be with Ruth, but for the other, for the scenery and everything that I could see. I was excited about this. Ruth seemed to be excited, but I was like, figured. In my mind, I thought, this will last a day and she'll be tired of it. She'll wish we would have flew out, get here real quick. But you know, something blessed me. The second day, she looks over there and she said, you know what? All the couples in our church should do this. Wow. That made me feel really good. I don't know if I did anything that helped her get to that point or anything, but it made me feel really good. Yes. Sometimes you just need to take your wife on a honeymoon again. Even if you're married 30 years, doesn't matter. Just take her again. Again. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad in rivers of waters in the streets. Let them only be thine and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoiced with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as a loving hind and a pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. Be thou ravished always with her love. That's what God wants for us. You know, I'm going to tell one more story in closing here. Then I want you to share a testimony. I have a neighbor. His name is Dusty. Dustin Hensley. Well, I had a nice hay field. I had nice green grass. And this is why I'm going to say about a good marriage or whether it was not a good marriage. My neighbor, Dustin, he runs cattle. I have an old man that owns the land around me. His name is Bobby Broyles. As far as I know, he's still living. He's probably 90 years old. And just last year, his son uh, got him, how, however you say that, he's, he's made incompetent to take care of his things. So his son took over his, his things. Anyway, he's got 60 acres right beside me. And Bobby Brawls has always run cattle. He's, he's, like I say, he's an old man. He's 90 years old. And his cows are probably equally. They're not 90 years old. But if you know what I'm saying, he never sells cows. That might give him another calf another year. And so what happened with his cows over the years, I would see. I could go out there. In, late, in the late fall, I could go walk through his field. And I could count about five or six cows that there's no way they're going to survive the winter. They were already skeletons. And by the time the winter was over, you'd find one in that ditch. You'd find them over there in that ditch. His cows were dying like, we could say, almost like flies because they were so old. They lost all their teeth and they couldn't eat. In fact, cows, I didn't even know this till Bobby told me, they only have teeth in the bottom. Did you know that? 
And so they, they swiped their tongue over the grass and they cut it off with their teeth. Well, these cows, had not, some of them had not a single tooth in their mouth. And they couldn't survive. They died. So a young man, Dustin, took over his cows. Same cows, put minerals out there, tried to get these cows fixed. First thing he should have done probably is go in there and sort out all these old cows that are going to die. They look terrible. Anyway, I had a nice hay field. His cows were over there in, looks like, government land, CPR land. So it's grown up in briars. You can hardly walk through it. There's not a lot of grass anywhere. But those cows survive on the little bit of grass that's there, on leaves off the briars, whatever they can reach off the trees. But those cows were hungry. They were hungry about two summers ago. I had a nice food plot down there. I had minerals down there for the deer. Those cows could smell those minerals. Well, he tried to keep his cows in with one hot wire. It worked as long as the wire was hot. But eventually the cows discovered the wire is not hot. He couldn't keep those cows in. First thing they did is they came over and they just mowed my food plot, which is about an acre and a half. They mowed it down so short that the deer couldn't even eat. It's just mowed off. And so I called Bobby and I complained. And... Oh, they get the cows in. Well, the next thing, after the food plot was gone, they kept coming up through the woods, and they saw that my grass in my yard is nice and green. They came up there. I had a nice green yard, and they just mow it down. And then I go out there, and I try to chase those cows home. And it's wet. And those cows run down through my yard. They're sinking into their ankles. Ah, you know how I feel. They just, Yes. Anyway, so they got in my hay field. They got into my yard. And it was just on and on. I'd call him about every two days. And finally, I decided the only way to keep his cows out of my fields is to build my fence to keep his cows out. I had no animals on my side. And that's what I did. And I, I met Dusty down there that one day when I was building. I, I had to build the fence. He came up to me. and He was sort of apologetic about what was going on, but he just wouldn't get it done, wouldn't get it fixed. So finally, I took off a day or two, and I got it done. I got it fixed. We met there at the fence. We were talking. And I told him, I said, Dusty, I said, it's hard to keep cows in when they're hungry. It's hard to keep cows in when they're hungry. Now you know where I'm going with this story. I don't have to tell you a lot more. You married folks know where I'm going with this story. When you have a good, solid marriage, when you're fulfilled in your marriage, you're not going to go over to the green grass on the other side of the fence. You're going to be able to say, like the man that was tempted, the man that was put to the opportunity to test, and he said, why would I drive a Pontiac when I've got a Cadillac at home in my garage? God has blessed us. Let's never let those blessings just drift out of our hands. We need to hold to those blessings. We need to nurture those blessings. And we need to pass it on to the next generation and to the next generation until the Lord comes back. And we need to keep preaching it. And we need to keep living it. So may God bless you. Shall we kneel for prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness. We thank you for marriage. 
and its blessing. And tonight our heart breaks for those who have experienced unfaithfulness, hurts, disappointments. May they just lift their eyes to you tonight to find healing, to find forgiveness, to find redemption in the blood of Christ. I just pray for this congregation, Lord, that there would be a living witness and a testimony from now until the Lord Jesus returns. Thank you for the opportunity to spend time together tonight. And Lord, I just pray that your word would go forth and even the things that were never, never mentioned here. Your spirit is wonderful, powerful, and it can go forth and minister in ways that we have no idea. We want to allow you to do that here tonight. Pray a blessing upon our assembly tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.